Kravitz. If you have not followed his Triple H Horse Racing Podcast, you're missing out. It's one of the best podcasts in the country. Good evening and welcome to episode 276 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining us on a very special and interesting uh, discussion about the unfortunate announcement that Golden Gate Fields in the San Francisco Bay Area, technically Albany, California, will be closing uh, at the end of their 2023 meet. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. After you do that, hit that notification bell and also hit the like button, that thumbs up button. We greatly appreciate it. That sends the YouTube algorithm to our show. And we had a tremendous amount of viewers and listeners last week for the opening week of Saratoga. We can't thank you enough. And we have a ton of shows happening this week as well. We have a live show every day on this YouTube channel through Sunday, whether it be a night show, our new Saratoga Today morning shows, please look at the uh, YouTube channel or go to our website, hhhracingpodcast.com for an update, as you can see scrolling on the bottom of the screen as well of our shows coming up. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at hkravitz, which is on my name tag, and also scrolling at the bottom of the screen, my email, hkravitzhorse at gmail.com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Uh, Tonight is not as much about uh, promoting our picks, but I'll go ahead and do that. We have power picks down below the video player. If you are interested in Del Mar specifically, we're going to be covering Del Mar like a glove on our regular uh, power picks tip sheet that we've had for two and a half years now. So please check that out below the video player. We also have brand new as of last week, Saratoga only power picks. Again, look below the video player or go to our website for information on that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's go ahead and bring on. I have two special guests that I'd like to bring on uh, this evening. Well, one is very special. The other one is just some old guy who writes for the Saratoga Special and does a great job. Just kidding about the old part, Paul. Uh, writes for the Saratoga Special from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, Mr. Paul Halloran, and a real special guest tonight. She's been on before. Mm-hmm. She actually tipped out society at, what was that, 9-1 to one or whatever it was, Paul, on, uh, on Parks Day, but she's a lot more than that. She's a terrific person that's involved in horse racing. Most specifically, currently, she's the track announcer at Parks Racing. Let's bring her on, Miss Jessica Paquette. Hi, guys. How are we doing tonight? Paul is really the very special guest. Let's be clear. No, this is this no, no. this is make this takes age before beauty and puts it to an entirely new level. It's piling on. Completely agree with you, Paul. Uh, Jessica, before we get to the topic of conversation, just tell everyone how Parks Racing is going. And as we, uh, the, you know, the Penn Derby is, is getting closer and closer, actually, as we get to the middle of the summer here, approaching August. There are some exciting things happening. I'm having a great time at Parks, getting my feet under me. I know I was a little slow out of the gate, but it's not necessarily how you start. It's how you finish. And we have the Million Dollar Pennsylvania <laughs> Coming up in September, along with the Cotillion, two grade ones. Smarty Jones Day. Uh, Smarty Jones Stakes preview day is uh, when we come back from the parks break in a few weeks on August 22nd. So graded stakes then, a nice prep for the Pennsylvania Derby. It's been a lot of fun. Oh, the parks racing has been great. I've been betting. I've been watching it. A little bit too much rain, as it's been the case in Saratoga and some other places. But uh, listen, can't control Mother Nature. We got some people watching Minnesota horse racing. Hello, Minnesota horse racing. Thanks for joining the show. Michael Austin has a comment already about Golden Gate. We'll get to that in just a minute. Guys, we're going to discuss here uh, for about half an hour uh, the unfortunate well, I think most people would agree the unfortunate announcement from the Stronach group who owns Golden Gate Fields as well as Santa Anita's mother locales that they're going to be shutting its doors. I believe I saw the last race date at Golden Gate will be December 10th of, of this year. And there's a lot of reasons and we could have a two hour show and, you know, we, we could make it a three or four part series, but we, we're going to just discuss this for half an hour. And guys, I want to talk about this on three sort of different levels that we spoke of before the show. And if you are watching live, we'd love to hear your comments in the chat, uh, whether we will agree, disagree, 
you can be a little controversial. That's okay. We like to have an open forum here and discussion as long as the comments are appropriate. But please make sure you comment in the chat based on some things that we say. And if you're listening to this later through our audio platforms, platforms, please make sure you uh, discuss your comments below the video player here on YouTube. We'd like to hear what you guys have to say. So the first thing that we're going to talk about, Paul and Jessica, um, and let me take the scrolling banner off the screen here. You'll see our uh, general um, topics at the bottom. The potential, and I say potential because we don't know exactly how this is all going to work, but the human cost and the sacrifice have to be made. Unfortunately, one of the reasons why we have you two on, Paul and Jessica, is because near and dear to your heart uh, was, is Suffolk Downs, and they unfortunately closed their doors. I live 20 minutes from Arlington Park, and of course, they closed their doors, and actually the roof is coming off as we speak. If you follow, if you watch Twitter, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. Speak a little bit, Paul. I'll go to you first. Uh, just the human element. Let's forget about the horses just for a minute, but there are a lot of people that work at the track. There's just a lot go, you know, behind the scenes. There's a million things that are happening, and just to sort of get up and move or switch jobs or have to move your children to a different school is not easy at all, and to say is underrated would probably be insulting. Yeah, and, and I can tell you, I'll, I'll mention someone Jess knows well, Jay Bernardini, who was a leading trainer at Suffolk Downs. His house is, I could throw a baseball to his house from where I'm sitting right now. He's in Lynn, Mass. And, you know, Jay decided to stay in the business, but Jay trains at Mountaineer, and uh, I think he's at uh, Mahoning Valley, and you know, but yet his uh, his wife works for TSA at Logan, so you know she's here. He's there. You know, obviously he does a lot of back and forth. But you know, for every Jay Bernardini who decided to stick it out and and go somewhere else, you know, as Jess can attest, there are probably two or three others who just got out of the business. And that's you know, I, I think human cost is probably a is a good way to put it. And and that and that's I'm just I'm talking to people working at the track, but. You know, people at the track, you know, Jess knows I had my beloved turf club at Suffolk Downs, my Saturday afternoon sanctuary. And, you know, some of the guys that I go up there with, I'm going to be having dinner with in Saratoga in two weeks, you know. So there's so many levels of sadness when we lose one of these tracks, whether it's big, small or or in between. And, and, And I do think human cost is a good way to put it. And that's really the saddest part of it. And Jessica, unfortunately, in the Bay Area, it looks like the Oakland A's are also going to be moving baseball teams. So there's a lot of people that work inside of sports venues in the San Francisco Bay Area. They're going to have to get up and look for different jobs. There's concessions. There's programs. There's just, you know, there's maintenance people. There there are a lot of different entities go into running a racetrack on a day-to-day basis. Well, and the thing is, ultimately, for most of us that work in racing, this isn't just what we do. Our entire self-identity gets wrapped up in our role in horse racing. It's so much more than a job to most of us, to the horsemen and women. It's, I mean, it's a seven-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year sort of job. But for, for those of us that work in the front side or in media or in other ways, it's still like our whole sense of self is wrapped up in this. So, I mean, I can definitely say when your racetrack, the one that is you know, your home base, closes, it does. It causes a little bit of an existential crisis where you go, what is my role here still in the sport? Do I still have a place in the sport? I mean, I'm a little bit of a road warrior. My home is still in Massachusetts, and I drive back and forth to Philly each week uh, while I'm pursuing the Sid Parks for now. And, the, you know, that's it's not easy. And I, your point about Jay Bernardini, Paul, is right. Like, you know, he's making it work being very successful out of town, but home is still Massachusetts for him. Um, And then I have the curb, like John and Tim Kirby are training horses here at parks and I'm sure they miss their beautiful farm in Dover. No question. There's a few comments here in the chat from Jeff Amster, not related, but Paul, I joined the special readers club today and recommend joining for everyone who reads the special either online or in Saratoga uh, off topic, but Paul, you're doing a great job. As usual with the Saratoga Special, the whole crew, Tom Law and everyone, Saratoga Special is uh, fantastic. A comment here from Michael Austin who said, well, it's the problem uh, when local politics and culture, we're going to talk about that, are against the sport and set it up to fail. So there, uh, so just can be no golden gate. I don't, I don't know about it. we just 
just say, well, we just can't have Golden Gate. But Michael, I, I do understand what you're saying. He also said that that area is completely failing and more quote unquote normal leisurely activities are non-existent there. There, there are issues throughout the country and on many uh, fronts. Real quick, but for Tom Espinoza, Tom Espinoza is a great viewer of the show, Jessica. He actually lives in these in the Bay Area. I think he lives closer to Sacramento. But he said, last visit to Golden Gate on 211, the entire staff entering the track and surf club were outstanding along with the food. That happens from dedicated workers. Tom, listen, I hear it. I have, Paul actually talked to Tom Espinoza on the phone yesterday. Um, and they're devastated out there, Jessica. I mean, there are true horse racing fans everywhere in the country. I wouldn't say San Francisco is, is a, you know, is a big mecca of horse racing, but it is a big, obviously, population location. And anytime you lose a track in a big population, like here in Chicago, although we have a lot more of history here with horse racing, with, with bigger races and whatnot, that's uh, that's X amount of people who are not going to see or be exposed to horse racing on a daily basis. Well, and you're missing the chance for so many, uh, you know, young, not just young people, but people in general to fall in love with the sport and also have opportunities to work in the sport. Because as kind of the, sh- the industry shrinks, there's going to be less and less entry level or entryways into the sport for people that want to work in any capacity. I mean, I think so many of us that work in the industry, we got our start at small tracks where you got to do a little bit of everything because it was a small track and everyone had to pitch in and, you know, you kind of learned to do the job at hand. Um, whereas, I mean, in some of these bigger, these bigger tracks, it's going to be like, if you do find a way in, it's going to be a very specific, like intern type of program, which is great. And everyone needs a way in, but you learn a little bit more hands-on at a small track and you get more chances there. And Paul, it's fair to say that the, the, the top people at Golden Gate, the people that are, um, that have the most exposure in a positive way, for example, track announcer Matt Dinnerman does a great job. Like these people you would figure will land on their feet at some point, but it's the little guys, right? It's the backstretch workers. It's the, it's the maintenance people. It's the concessions. Those are the ones, uh, you know, like Jonathan Wong, he'll, he's already has stable throughout the country, so he'll be okay. But it's the little guy that really gets hurt in these situations. Yeah. And, and, you know, someone put in the chat and I think it's a good point, you know, when Stronach group talks about, you know, consolidating the racing downstate, you know, we're not talking about, you know, San Francisco to, to LA being, you know, 30 minutes away, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's almost another world, you know, forget about the quality of the horses for a second, but, you know, just logistically, you know, you're back, into a, a, a Jay Bernardini situation. You know, if, if your whole existence is in Northern California, you know, you, you, you can't ship down to Santa Anita on race day. <laughs> you can't, it's going to get old pretty quickly. Right. The cost of things changes at various, you know, various locations in the country or even in various parts of the state in California, you're going to be, I imagine paying more for some of the basic things that you need to care for horses in these kind of more affluent areas. Can you two I mean, talk California. a little bit about the human costs at Suffolk Downs specifically now? There are a lot of tracks in the Northeast, so it's not as if people that live in the Boston area can't find another track to go to. However, that was a devastating blow to people in the Boston area as well. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to lose a track in a bigger population area? Unfortunately, you two, you have experience with that. And we experience with two in New England. I mean, two major thoroughbred tracks with Rockingham and with mm-hmm. Suffolk. And the fact that throughout New England, an entire region, there is not a single thoroughbred track. You know, you can go to there, you can find a harness track, but you have to look pretty hard because it's not like some of these really promote themselves all that well at this point. And that that no one in New England can stay in New England and go see a live thoroughbred race is, and it's a tragedy. But no, it's not only just that you can't bring fans to the racetrack. It's the agricultural impact that a working racetrack has on the economy around it. I mean, a, a working thoroughbred track supports breeding farms and farriers and veterinarians and tax stores and all of these ancillary employees that kind of work with the horses or or provide supplies for the horses and horsemen and women that then, you know, don't have anything. And Howard, we should point we should point out, yeah, I mean, the Golden Gate situation, you know, the Stronach group, they, they base their decision on what they base the decision on. In our case here, it didn't have to happen. Suffolk Downs was the best spot 
for one of the for the Boston casino license. A casino at Suffolk Downs would have kept racing alive for a minimum of 20 years by contract. It was a, a site, obviously, where gambling had uh, been going on for 60-something years. And in our case, you know, all that Jessica just reeled off, all that residual stuff and, and, and the, the reckless actions of the Massachusetts Gaming Commission in not giving the casino license to the, the, the group that was going to site it at Suffolk Downs, they turned their back on all those people and they knew that it was going to be the end of an industry. So that it didn't, you know, it didn't, it might've happened here at some point. It certainly didn't have to happen when it did that. There was a lifeline there. And in our case, it just fell victim to the, the sheer corruption that exists in our state. And the, the proposal that was not the best proposal given to Steve Wynn and his five-star resort on the Revere Somerville Chelsea line, they need if they need five stars, like I need another ice cream, but that's another story for another day. <laughs> so it's 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 really it's extra sad that it happened to us because it didn't have have to. And um, I do the different situation with the struggling horse population and the desire to prop up the field size at Santa Anita, which is a jewel. I mean, Santa Anita is a crown jewel in in the industry and should be preserved as long as it can be. It is, I mean, if you haven't been to Santa Anita, it's really one of the most magnificent racetracks I've ever been to. It's just the loss of any racetrack is to me, just breaks my heart a little bit. It breaks my heart. And Arlington is, was different situation, of course, in Suffolk, but somewhat similar. And I don't want to get into Churchill Downs Incorporated, and they've been very good to us here on the show, and we're not here to, to, to demean anyone or to rip on people. But the fact of the matter is that if that situation was handled differently church uh, by CDI, Arlington would still be standing today, and there'd be racing. So uh, that was also a casino situation, and, and again, there's a lot more to it. The, the situation in California is a little bit different. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Uh, Raymond Cromley on the bottom said the Ohio Racinos – have not lived up to its billing, at least in his opinion. Um, so maybe racinos are not always the answer. Yeah, but this, we weren't talking a racino. This is a full-blown casino. There were three licenses available in Massachusetts, one in the Boston area. This is for a full-blown resort-type casino. And why would you put a resort casino next to an airport? That would be why? crazy. Anyway, I digress. I, why would you? I, I, you can tell, uh, Howard, Jessica I have not gotten over this. Yeah, we never will. I don't think we I, I'm not nearly over Arlington right now. Jessica, do you want to comment on the bomb? Tom Cat. Tom is a new uh, person that I've seen in the chat. Thanks for joining the show, Tom. Said, sadly, are we saying racing can't survive without casinos? Thought on that, Jessica. I don't. I don't think it's that it can't survive, but I think be doing a better job making sure our product can stand on its own. I think that there should be constant. No you know, market sport as best as possible, make it more appealing to the horse players and find different ways to get a younger set of eyes and a younger audience educated and engaged because I do think the entry to the sport can be a little intimidating to a novice. No question. Um, let, let's get to the other, there, there are many aspects to this. And once again, if you're just joining us, say this is not a handicapping show. I'm speaking to co-host Paul Halloran and wonderful track announcer at Parks Racing, Jessica Paquette. We're discussing the situation at Golden Gate that was announced over the weekend that they're going to be shutting their doors in December. The Stronach Group has uh, decided to, uh, they're hoping to at least consolidate uh, the horses in California, California, excuse me, and their hope is at least is to bring a lot of horses down to Santa Anita and Southern California. That is yet to be determined because if you're paying attention to the articles in the news, a lot of people in Northern California are saying, we're not just going to go down to Southern California just because you say that we should. So that's a whole other debate. Let's talk about that right now, guys, a little bit. Let's talk about the horses specifically. Um, Northern California and let's talk about Golden Gate. That's, a, I would say, a mid-level track, to, to be fair. I think Arlington was at that point when they closed. I think uh, you'd agree Parks is somewhere in that area. Uh, Jessica, it's not the top of the top, but it's certainly you know, not towards the bottom either. It's, it, it's good quality racing that is needed throughout the country. But there are and many horses. ...placed in the week. We, I mean, we are just smartly placed with the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday schedule to yes. get matched. 
Yes, no doubt. But there are some very nice horses that are running at parks, and then there's some lower level horses, like there are in many tracks throughout the country. The problem with Golden Gate guys is that's the same situation. There's only a certain percent of those horses that could compete at San Nita in that circuit, while others are best fit there. Like your, let's just take your basic, uh, you know, a 62, 62 five, you know, N two X claimer, right? That is not going to be able to run at San Anita unless they change their stance of the lowest claiming price i think they have is ten thousand dollars right now so i know sacramento and um some other locales in northern california some fair circuits they're having discussions as we speak i know the news just came out on how they could perhaps have more racing up in that area but there's only a certain amount of horse that can actually run paul in at san Anita based on their quality so there's a real conundrum here yeah, and I touched on that earlier. That's why I don't I don't think it's realistic to think that, you know, oh, we'll just have these horses all move down to Arcadia and everything and we'll solve the problem of horse flesh in Southern California. You know, I, I, I just don't um I, I just don't think it's realistic for a number of reasons. The geography, which I mentioned, the the caliber of horses, Howard, which you mentioned. And, you know, again, back to the the what do you do if you're you know, you got two kids in school, you know, and they, they go to school in the, the Bay area, you know, um, it's it just, it's, it's difficult. You know, I, hopefully it'll help the product in Southern California because it needs help. And, you know, if you talk about racinos and casinos, well, you know, California is thus far gone on without them. And you know they are staggering. Let's let's be let's call a spade a spade. You know there there are too many five horse fields at Santa Anita on Fridays and Saturdays. So, you know, I, hopefully it helps, but I, I wouldn't be overly optimistic that A is going to lead to B. Jessica, I've been reading some articles, and I have some on the other screen. If I look to my right, that's the reason why. I know a lot of the California horsemen are are getting together. Like I said. Uh, there's a possibility of a turf course being built at Cal Expo in Sacramento. However, they do have harness racing at night as of now. They're going to have to work on dates for next year. What do you see? I know we're all a little bit of outsiders since we're not in California, but just with your based on your experience in horse racing, what is the best case scenario for Northern California uh, trainers of horses that don't feel like they can compete at San Nita and higher level tracks? Well, the surface is really the most interesting thing to me because we are, I mean, as an industry continuing to have these ongoing discussions, what is truly the safest surface for us to be racing over? And, you know, there's always the talk about maybe a broader switch back to synthetics, which um, that's an entirely different podcast that we could get into and discuss at great length, where I have a lot of thoughts in that area as well. Um, but there are so limited opportunities uh, domestically for horses to run on synthetic. So I do wonder for those folks that do have a horse that really is a synthetic only kind of horse, you know, they're, they are going to have to go to Turfway in the winter, but then where else or Presque Isle or, you know, these, these other tracks with, with synthetic, I mean, and of course Woodbine, but they might, you know, the, the bottom at Golden Gate might not really fit the bottom at Woodbine either. So there, there are so many questions of where do these horses fit into the landscape? Um, the, the idea of building a turf horse, great. It's very interesting in theory. I mean, more tur- I'm, I, I'm all for more turf racing, but that's, that's not a tomorrow solution either. Those, you know, surfaces take a while to construct and there's a lot to, that goes into kind of the logistics of that too. The uh, California Authority of Racing Fairs, CARF, Executive Director, uh, Larry Schwartzlander, I'm getting this from the Thoroughbred Daily News article from yesterday, said that it would cost approximately $6 million to build a turf course at Cal Expo and would take about six months to build. And that is isn't the end-all, be-all panacea for this issue as well. So uh, I think the biggest issue that I have in general, uh, and I think there are some positive ideas here for this closing, even though I don't like tracks closing at all. I'll get to that in just a moment. Um is that they didn't really take the, the Stronach group, at least it appears, based on all news accounts, Paul, didn't really take all the stakeholders into account. This was a bit of a unilateral decision. And when you when you have the money and the power, I suppose you can do that. That doesn't mean it's best for everyone in California racing or racing as a whole. No, I mean, they're, they're, you know, and Matt Miller pointed out in the chat, I mean, they were a private company running a business and to mm-hmm. some, you know, they obviously have the right 
to, to run that business in a manner that they think will be most profitable. You know, I, I think, you know, what they said is what I would have had them say is in my in my day job as a PR person. Um, you know, they talked about the consolidation of racing and, and giving it a boost and all that. But, you know, obviously it's a business decision and they're, they're trying to they're trying to consolidate cost. I mean, it it costs less to run. I don't know how many tracks they have now, Gulfstream, Laurel, Santa Anita, you know, it, it costs less to run one fewer, operate one fewer track. There's not all those, the, the, the commensurate number of jobs at Golden Gate are not going to translate to Santa Anita. So, you know, again, they have the right to do that, but let's, let's be clear on what it was about. It's a financial decision first and foremost. Jessica, I know you have to go in a few minutes, and we're going to talk about full crop size, Paul and I mainly. But before we let you go, first of all, thank you for coming on tonight. I know you're very busy, and we we appreciate you taking the time. Is there anything in general you'd like to say, either people that are watching or listening in the in the Cal in the Northern California or Bay Area or California in general um, on what this might mean in the big picture and and how we go forward is is closing mid-level tracks and consolidating the answer what is the big answer to this issue right now with smaller fields and i'm decreasing revenue at certain tracks no pressure howard just i'll just solve all of <laughs> why not right right now that's fine uh i mean the thing i would say to uh everyone who has a smaller mid-level track in your backyard go out and support it show up don't come out on the last day and say boy i wish i had supported this more because then you don't have a chance anymore so go out and support your local racetracks bring your friends bring your family drag everybody you know and try to create some new fans along the way and for everyone at golden gate um the advice that i would give having been on the other side of the send-off is we got to do it twice at Suffolk. We did it in 2014. We thought it was the end. It rained. It was sad. We felt defeated and it felt like a funeral and it sucked. And then in 2019, when we somehow got the chance to do it again, we tried to make it more of a celebration of everything that the racetrack had meant to us and to the community. And having done it both ways, celebrate it at the end if you can. And take moments to enjoy it, but celebrate you know, the history and what the racetrack has meant to you. I appreciate your kind words. And I think you were very eloquent in what you just have to say. And I'd be remiss before I let you go. What's coming up with uh, at parks, any, any big stakes coming up, something this weekend or anything you'd like to promote with parks racing? You know, parks racing has, uh, we race tomorrow and then we race next week. And then we are on a three week vacation and the announcer does not have to drive 12 hours a week. <laughs> so that. I am looking forward to recharging my batteries for a couple of weeks, going to some horse shows. And then we come back back on August 21st, Pennsylvania Day at the races, a bunch of great stakes races for Pennsylvania breads and Pennsylvania sired horses. Then August 22nd, Smarty Jones Day, the Smarty Jones Stakes, which is a big prep for the Pennsylvania Derby. A couple of other um, significant stakes races that day as well. And then, I mean, before you know it, it is September and it is Pennsylvania Derby and lots of exciting things. Jessica, I heard a few people on the screen might be at Saratoga during the time that you're on break. Maybe uh, we can buy you a beverage or have a nice dinner or something, perhaps. I'm trying to plan a Saratoga outing. That's on my list. I'm also trying to plan a Colonial Downside outing. So, yeah, again, I'm, I'm off from the racetrack, but I'll still be at a racetrack, realistically. Terrific. Well, you're doing a great job, Jessica. We really appreciate you coming on tonight. Rest that voice, and we look forward to listening to you tomorrow at Parks Racing. Guys, have a good night. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Bye, Jessica. Jess. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that's Jessica Paquette, just wonderful. The best. She's the, the best. best. She does a great job at parks and and really has a very good insight on what's going on with, with horse racing throughout the country and in this type of situation. Paul, let's talk about one other uh, topic before we leave here regarding uh, this issue. And let me get the banner up on the screen here. And that is full crop size. Now, I want to be real clear. And Paul, I don't know if you saw this. I did tweet it out. Um, I was actually on the channel the abc news uh in san francisco sunday night um and i didn't really want to talk about it very much for a specific reason and not, not because i wasn't proud to be on there or did anything wrong i just had a, a random newscaster uh call me and here's the cool part i would say not for me but for all of us on the podcast this random um not random he's one of the the sportscasters on the abc affiliate in san francisco this is obviously a big newscast uh, he and he told me this because I obviously spoke to him. Did a Google search of top 
uh, horse racing podcast. And guess what name came up? We were in the top like four or five, whatever. And just he saw my name and just went on Twitter and just randomly called me to speak about the closing at uh, at Golden Gate Fields, which, to be honest, so much much more eloquent and appropriate, like a, a Peter Thomas Forentel or a Steve Bick or a zillion other people would have been much more qualified. However, that being said, I was very happy to be on the local ABC 7 uh, 10 o'clock news on Sunday night. Here's the here's the bummer of it all. They brought up the animal rights situation. Now, I don't want to give these knuckleheads any kind of real publicity, but for for fairness and to tell the story truthfully, we both know, and anyone, unless you've been hiding under a rock, that especially in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, there's been a lot of issues uh, with animal rights activists. They Obviously, they want to shut it down, and they're taking a little bit of credit for shutting down Golden Gate, which is the most ridiculous thing we've ever heard. We both know that's not true at all, but there is that narrative out there. It's just a damn shame. Yeah, Howard, I, I don't, you don't really want to get me started on this topic because I, <laughs> I have to make a conscious, I have to make a conscious effort walking into Saratoga on the big days. Do not engage them. Do not engage them. Do not engage them. And, and it's hard because they are among the biggest frauds in the history of the world. What I'd like to say to them at Saratoga when they're all out there with their signs on Travers Day is, "Hey, where are you on the second Wednesday of the meet? Don't you care about horses dying that day?" You only show up on the days the TV cameras are going to be here. So they, Belinda Stronach, Santa Anita made the mistake of trying to bring them to the table, thinking that if you get them to the table, that, you know, they're going to be part of the solution. They want to shut you down. So get them away from the goddamn table. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that the, the industry doesn't have to do a better job, you know. I don't know what happened to Churchill Downs, Howard. You know how many people have asked me that question? You know, they knew we were at the Derby. And, geez, you know, what's going on at Churchill Downs? Because, you know, once a few horses die, tragically, then it becomes a a major national story. Now, look at Santa Anita. Santa Anita had a really bad run. What was it, three or four years ago? Yeah. You know, since then, they've had a really good run. Del Mar. You know, knock on wood, I think went all of last year without a, a race day. Well, the whole going. country racehorsing deaths are way down. That's not just they us. They are. And, and I get it. Fans. That's absolute right. fact. It is. And, and, and you're going to hear people say, well, one is too many. But that's not realistic. These are working animals. Okay. Yes. They're doing a job. It's not like they're at a petting zoo and they're dropping dead. They're doing a job. They're, they're 1,200-pound animals. You've been up close to them, Howard. I spend a lot of time up close to them. 1,200-pound animals on these relatively spindly little legs, you know, and they're going at 30 miles an hour, and, you know, God forbid things happen. It, it doesn't justify it, but it's a fact of life, and all we we have to mitigate it, the, the, the whole drug situation, which, you know, there's a lot of effort into being – cleaned up it's probably in an overcorrection mode at this particular time as evidenced by some of today's headlines so you know i have no no input i want from the animal rights people because they want to shut you down if their goal was to make the sport better you listen to them they want it shut down okay either as someone said in the chat fight back or ignore them Paul, they don't them. want They're cats. Or, they don't want cats or dogs to be your pets. They're, They're fra- Howard, insane. They, they are frauds. Ridiculous. Any one of yes. them, and if any one of them is listening I, or in the chat, come on down. Uh, come to Saratoga. Come to Pent Parks. Okay, they are total frauds, and I engage them, and I try not to engage them. But anyway, having said all of that. All right. Well, I I know I've been up close to the horses, Paul, because one had a restraining order on me. So yes, yes. <laughs> and and that one, by the way, that way, that one, I might be picking that one this Saturday and go against my previous. Well, we'll talk about that Thursday. You got night too close, but back to the, the pole crop, which I think is what yeah, you were talking about. Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's you get know, to the pole crop. I'm going to bring on screen, Paul, if I may interrupt. I'm going to bring yeah, on. Yeah, that'd screen. be good. This is the this is the full crop size from the Jockey Club. I'm going to. I don't know if it's big enough. What? Hold on, I've got actually. Uh, Hit something else. Hold on a second here. Let me get this up on screen. Here it is. Sorry about that. All right. Let me let me take this down. I know it's a little bit small. I don't know if I can make it any. 
it's hard for me to make it too much bigger. I hope everyone at home. I, I could see we that. could see it. So in nineteen ninety, there were the full crop size was forty thousand three thirty three. And it didn't change really. I mean it went down a little bit, but from nineteen ninety two was thirty five thousand in the United States. We're looking at the left column, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. And in two thousand one, it was thirty four seven. So really from ninety two to one, it really didn't change that much. Actually, down to, excuse me, back down to 2006, it was 35. So for a good 16 years, Paul, from 92 to 07, let's say, it really didn't change much. However, you can see in the last, you know, what, what 17 years since 06, it has been cut in half. It has dramatically uh, decreased. And in 2022, was estimated only about 17,300 was the crop size. So that brings up the... Uh, obvious question as I bring us back on screen here a little bit. What can be done about that? Now, I'm not I, I'm not an agriculturist. I don't know. There are a lot of business reasons why. But if you have less horses running, Paul, then obviously you can't have as many tracks open. I mean, it's really that simple, isn't it? Right. It, it's kind of a supply and demand thing, Howard. And I'm yeah. not I'm not an economist, uh, but I, I do think that's exactly it. it. And one other thing that is not to be underestimated, Howard, is how frequently or infrequently the horses run. Now, yes, you know, another one. not, you know, look at the, the, the $10,000 claim is they're not getting three months off like the Tappet Trices. I get it. But if you look at the average number of starts per horse over that same period, I, I suspect you'd see about the same percentage increase, a uh, decrease rather. So it's, if the full crop is going to be lower, we probably have too many races. Um, how is that corrected? You know, that's something the tracks have to correct themselves and they can't figure out how to not run races on top of each other uh, at the same post time. So that might be, you know, that, that might be a big ask, but you know, I do think you need some creativity. You know, you talk to Jess parks has found a niche on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, I don't get the colonial thing. I, I know that the Virginia racing commission was pushing, they want to get more people to the track. So they're running on the on the end of the week and the weekend. I thought Colonial was a great idea to be running opposite Saratoga, you know, for that reason. But but to the bigger picture, you know, it costs a lot to to own a horse, as you know, Howard. It costs a yes. lot to breed a horse. Um, if you want to go breed to into mischief now, I think it costs you. 275 i think it's 275 now okay if you want to breed to curlin it's it's in the twos right right so you know but we have syndicates if, now which is a wonderful which thing. are great so the little guy can get involved the little guy can get involved and you know but that's another sad part of these tracks closing howard you know it might be a, pretty realistic for someone who lives in the bay area to own a horse at golden gate you know economically but that same person might not be in a position to own one. It's you know that that's going to have the ability to run at Santa Anita. But I do think the if the full crop is going to continue to decrease and we're going to run the same number of races, at some point the formula doesn't work, right? No, I mean you can't do it. And, and Charles B is exactly right on the bottom of the screen. No one wants to play five horse field, so a handle goes down, track closes. Simple. I mean that is a basic you know, uh, easy way of looking at it, Charles, but I agree with you. And listen, guilty as charged, Paul. I love California racing. The people out there are tremendous. You're going to have a chance. You have not been to San Anita, correct? Is that no, right? First time you're going to have a chance to go to San Anita with us for the Breeders' Cup. You're going to love it. I love Del Mar. I, I, the people are fantastic, but I've bet less money at, in California this year than I think in my 25 years of betting horses at a relatively high level. Uh, it, I have no desire to bet, you know, five, six horse fields. In fact, one of the first things I do, Paul, on a random, you know, Friday or Saturday during the summer, uh, obviously during the school year, it's different, is I look, go to Aquabase, I look at the entries, and I look at field sizes, plain and simple. Now, I personally, this is just for me, I'm not interested in betting, you know, four claimers, non-winners of one the last six months in a 12-horse field. I don't want to bet real low level horses, even if it's big fields. So the combination of big fields and high quality horses, unfortunately, 
is uh, few and far between. But that's what makes Del Mar and Saratoga so great. I'm much more interested in betting fields that are bigger. You get bigger handle. You get much more equity in the horizontal bets, right, Paul? You can't make money in a pick four or a pick five when you have a total of 24 horses running in four races. It's just, you just, it's simple math. So I'm looking, so from that standpoint, I do agree with the Stronach group in that. And I hope it works out, Paul. I would love to see Sandy to go to four day racing, you know, 10 races a day. You know, there's going to be some lower level horses, but, or uh, races, but I, that's okay. Once in a while, um, I would be much more willing to bet Sanita in that scenario, Paul. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, we might be headed back to, you know, more toward the circuits, if you will, you know, the, the year round thing, or even to do most of the year, you know, it's hard. It's really hard to pull off. Right. You know, so you got, you know, they, you had Hollywood and Santa Anita and Del Mar and, you know, New York has Belmont and Aqueduct and Saratoga, but I'm saying, you know, to, to, to re, you know, tur- let's look at Turfway, for example. Turfway runs in bad weather, although it doesn't get terrible in Kentucky. But, but you know what? Their their winter meet last year was extremely su- successful. You know, they had big fields. They don't have to cancel because they do have the synthetic, which I'm not necessarily in favor of. But my point is um, another way to get better fields. But when we talk about fewer races, I'm not talking about running eight. Uh, instead of 10 on Saturday, I'm talking, uh, you know, maybe that six month meet has to be a four month meet. And, you know, maybe there's another four month meet on the circuit somewhere else. You know, Parks is taking three weeks off. Parks basically does run year round. God love them. But they're taking three weeks off, as Jessica said. But that that's just becoming tougher and tougher to do, I think. Well, Paul, as much as it pains me to say this, I talked to Matt Miller about this about two days ago. Unfortunately, I think we're going to see a scenario until the economics of the full crop changes. At some point, we're going to see serious racing, obviously, in the Northeast. That's never going to change. Uh, You're going to see it in the Mid-Atlantic. You're going to see it um, to some extent in the Midwest, obviously in Kentucky. You'll see in Florida for sure in the uh, in the winter and you'll see it in California. I have a hard time believing the death of California racing is, is upon us. So but in terms of many other states and many other places, that's all we may see it, and then that would be unfortunate. However, when it is on, the quality would be so good. And, and that's what that's what I'm going to try and my takeaway from this in general is as much as it sucks and as crappy as it is, I hope the powers that be can come together and come to a solution so that the racing we do see, Paul, is of very high quality. And there's always going to be room for the mom and pop tracks and the, you need those fair races for the kids to go to in the summer and, you know, for to people to expose people to the, to the races, but the real serious betters like you and I, and the people that are serious about the game that put in the most money, we can't have five and six horse fields running Friday, Saturday, and Sunday only. It is not going to work. Yeah. And, and I think you're right on target with field size is, and I do the same thing, you know, and sometimes when you just look at the race, you know, I instinctively will say, oh boy, this is a good betting race coming up before I even look at the PPs, but I see there are 10 horses in it. So I know it's at least, you know, it, it is going to be a quote, good betting race. Now, you know, I, I also don't want to bet, you know, non-winners of one in 522 days either, but I agree. That is, and that's why, you know, Keeneland and Saratoga and Del Mar, in addition to the quality of the horses, you know, you're not getting, and New York is not immune. You know, you'll see in the winter, you'll see Aqueduct oh. get those five and six horse fields. You're not I think the synthetic is going to help that, Paul. I think the synthetic will start changing that because I think some horses from Woodbine are going to come down to New York ideally, but that's a whole other topic of conversation. Yeah, yeah I just anyway. hope they don't do what Gulfstream has done and put it in for that reason, you know, kind of as a stopgap. And then all of a sudden they're carting three races a day on it before a drain drop ever falls because enough of that nonsense. Let's get two comments to end the show, Paul. We got Matthew Chimura. Matthew, thanks for joining the show. So it's amazing how in California that Delmar always has these huge fields uh, for their summer meet while the rest of the year you don't see it except for some select days at San Anita. But Matthew, that's exactly what the Stronach group sees 
And that's what they're trying to avoid. They want to get bigger fields and more racing days throughout the year. And they feel like consolidating is the way to do it. I don't know if it's going to work, but that's exactly what the Stronic Group is thinking. And then finally from Jim Pilars, our great friend of the show, Paul, great discussion on difficult topics. Wish I had something intelligent to add as a potential solution. But I, am at a, at a, but I too am at a loss for a workable solution. It's, it's not easy. These are very difficult. Uh, topics. And uh, I, I felt like it was worth discussing tonight. So Paul, really, thanks for coming on. And we'll we'll see what happens here. Um, there's no doubt that Golden Gate's going to close. And it's a damn shame for everyone in the Bay Area specifically. But uh, there's a lot of great people out in California, Paul. And the, um, you know, the locales are tremendous. And I'm sure they're going to figure something out. I just hope they come together. That, again, that's my big takeaway from tonight that I want to express is as much as I uh, support Sanita and the Stronach Group and Laurel and their tracks, um, these should not be unilateral decisions. There's too many stakeholders involved, Paul. I hope they involve those stakeholders in the next uh, coming weeks and months. Let's hope so, Howard. The, the sad part about tracks closing, Howard, is you don't see any new ones opening. No. So. You Everyone don't. that closes, the number is going down by one, and it's not going back up by one. There are no new ones opening, folks. Unfortunately. Um, I want to end the show with two little uh, breaking pieces of news that I've not expressed on this show. Number one, uh, you talked about building racetracks. For the first time about 15 years, Paul, I bought um, some Powerball tickets. So after, after I crush it tomorrow night, Kravitz Downs will be opening up in 2025. <laughs> You need a good uh, no. PR guy. You need a good PR guy. I think I'd love, I, if I know, I'll see, I'll look at my Rolodex and see if I can know anyone. Uh, <laughs> but uh, number two, and I haven't uh, mentioned this, but I'll, I'll mention it now. We'll talk about it on Thursday as well. But I was planning on going to uh, Saratoga at the same time you were this year on Thursday, August. Let me look at the date third. However, I'd like to announce to the world or anyone who's watching listening that I have two horses that are, I, I partially own with the Delphi racing that I found out are running God willing with the turf, with the grass and the weather right now in, 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 the, in the Northeast that are running on Saturday, the 29th of July and the 30th of July. And I called my buddy, Matt Miller. I said, Matt, I got a little, I, I wonder, wonder if you're interested in doing something with me. So long story short, we are for sure, Paul, Matt Miller and I, going to be going up to Saratoga earlier than expected. We will be there starting uh, Saturday, July 29th uh, for the sole purpose to see two Adelphi horses, hopefully running one Saturday, one Sunday. And we will be there for a full eight days if we can last that long, including, of course, seeing you and the rest of the HHH Racing Podcast crew up at Saratoga. Paul, can I last uh, eight days there and what, five yeah. five days of racing, I think it's going to be. Yeah, well, you'll see. Dr. Jeff Moore, a big fan of the show, will be there on Sunday the 30th. Okay. And uh, may have, uh, I don't know, did I get him seats that day? I don't know if I got him seats that day. Anyway, um, <laughs> yes, he is coming in. I'll, I will be in hopefully by Tuesday the 1st, maybe earlier. You okay. never know. You never know when I'm going to show up there. But that that's exciting, Howard. I'm, uh, I have a uh, uh, one that is, I think, going to run at some point. That Hoster Cone that we saw at Belmont a few yeah, weeks ago ran a really well. good second. He, he, he should be targeted to run up there. And then there's another one that uh, my wife has a small piece of that uh, uh, ran on a real soft turf at Belmont and just kind of, you know, the jock didn't pursue on it. She's supposed to run up there probably in the second book. So yeah, that's just an added bonus to being there, Howard. For sure. And uh, Patrick Kunzel, co-host of the Ben and Boozen show. Can't wait to get uh, back up there and see everyone. Patrick was actually there for this past weekend. Um, he lives, he lives in the New Jersey uh, area and he was actually there this past weekend. Patrick can't wait to see you buddy and, and everyone else. And uh, again, what's cool as we close the show here is there are people within this podcast we've been on for two and a half years and and you and you and pete uh, directly have been on the show for what a year and a half now or uh, a year plus uh we have not met pete visco i'm not even sure he's a real person yet we have not yet met uh pete visco in person and i know that um 
you know, there's different people at the show that they haven't met. Uh, Kyle Roscoe has never met Patrick Kunzel in person and blah, blah, blah. So, but my screen is a little blurry there. So, anyway, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Perfect time to end the show, Paul, so my screen goes a little blurry. Uh, we've got a show tomorrow night, Ben and Booze, and Thursday night, uh, of course, the flagship show, Saratoga Today. Check your local listings for shows here on the HHH Racing Podcast. From my good friend and co-host, Paul Halloran, this has been your host, Howard Kravitz, episode 276 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Crush your bets anywhere that you're playing and we'll see you later on this week. Take care, everyone. Good night. Racing podcast, you're missing out. It's one of the best podcasts in the country.